And so I've been hesitant to come up with a typical three-point application. And instead, I want to challenge you and ask you to be present in this text with me, to be digging as you're reading and as we're exploring this, that you would be present and asking asking our God, what do you want from me today to hear? Asking the Holy Spirit, speak to me. Help me to hear you. Because I could give you an application and you could go home and you could do those things to try to become a wiser person. And at the end of the day, when you lie on your deathbed, you might never have met the living God and heard from him. And that is his heart from you. And that's what I saw here was that wisdom is from God. It's not a list of to-dos, of rights and wrongs. It's meeting with the living God. And so that is my heart today is that this space we would meet with our living God and receive his wisdom. So in a moment, I'm just going to ask us and we're going to pray before we dig in and, and just lay ourselves before this living God and, and invite him to speak to us. But before we do that, I also wanted to give voice to those things that often block us or cause us anxiety and worry. Doubts that we have about who God is, fears that might be just sticking in our hearts. Doubts like, is God even there? Does he really exist? Is God more like a clockmaker? I don't think he actually works and speaks today. Does he just set things in motion and leave it be? Is God, I'm not sure God actually would heal today. Why isn't God acting sooner? If you have these doubts, and if the Holy Spirit is stirring them, I ask you, please don't shove them down and try to hide them. Because God, the Holy Spirit, might actually want to speak to you about them in some way. He might actually be saying, I want you to face these today with me, and I want to start a conversation with you about these. So this is a place where we don't want to shove those down but we want to bring these, acknowledge them to ourselves and before God, and invite him to speak into them. And the same with our fears and our worries about what we're going to do with our life or our job or maybe the friendship, whatever fear it is that you're holding, I pray that you don't just try to shove and ignore it, but bring it before God today and ask him to speak into that and ask him to show you who he is because he cares about every single aspect of who we are, and his heart is that we meet with him. So with that, I invite you to just close your eyes for a minute, and I just want to give you space, and I give you time, and give you silence, and invite you to meet with our living God, who we have just sung about, singing holy, holy, holy. Through Christ and through prayer, we have access to the throne room of God, that holy of holies, He hears and he knows. And so I invite you today to just spend a couple of minutes before him in silence.
God, you know my heart today is to hear you. And as a community, Lord, there are things that we need to hear your voice. We have worries, we have doubts, and we have concerns. We have tasks that you have given us that are too big for us. I thank you that you are a generous God. I thank you that you want to speak to us and you want to generously pour out your wisdom and your truth. I ask that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would remove distractions or doubts that would question whether or not your voice is yours, but that we would know your voice, we would hear your voice, and that your spirit would show us how we can respond to that. Father God, we also want to take a moment to pray for Pastor Brad and Meg and Peter and Debbie Ash and the other team in Tanzania as they're right now on the ground getting prepared to meet with these kids who are marginalized, who are hunted for their bodies because they believe that they have magical powers. Lord, this is something that should not be. And these kids are growing up in fear all day long. So we pray that this week would be a bright light in their life of your love and your peace. Would they experience peace that passes understanding because of your son Jesus guarding them, protecting them, speaking truth of worth and value into their lives? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just equip the team to be your hands and your feet. That when they touch these kids, give them a hug, and when they speak affirmation, it would be you speaking and touching and encouraging them. And we pray for wisdom for Brad and Meg as they try to talk your truth and explain your truth to the church leaders and encourage these church leaders and how they can fight against this injustice and how they can fight this spiritual battle and that you would give them victory, Lord, that we would see victory after victory this week and onward. We thank you for your presence and we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to be reading in 1 Kings chapter 3. And um, I invite you to turn there in your Bible or on your app. I will have most of them on the screens as well. But one of the great things about having a Bible or an app is you can highlight it as you go. And so, um, and again, if we're wanting to hear from God, there may be something that I talk about, but there may be another verse that just the Spirit makes it stand out to you. And it's wonderful to be able to highlight that so you can go back and you can read that and you can memorize that and, and ask, hey, Lord, what is it about this verse that you're wanting to speak to me about? So um, I do encourage you if, you, if you don't have a Bible or an app, that's one of the reasons why I find a tangible copy so helpful is because then I can take notes and track it. Um, just a quick note as well, we do have some of the kids with us here, and in Kids at the Ridge, I usually do a quick recap. Um, if you're not sure where to find a passage in the Bible, 
is this wonderful thing called a table of contents at the very beginning of most Bibles. On your app, you can just type in 1 Kings and it'll get there, but, which is wonderful about technology. But if you're using a Bible, you just go there and it'll list, we have the Bible split up into an Old and a New Testament, and then you just look through. So it's not alphabetical, which sometimes throw people off, but it actually lists out where the Bible passages are. So you just scan down until you find 1 Kings, which is in the Old Testament, and it'll tell you what page number it's on, and you can flip to there. So I do encourage you to figure out how to, it's kind of tricky sometimes to navigate, and the kids especially sometimes are always like, where is this? I don't know. And um, so it makes sense to do a quick recap. So 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at um, starting from the beginning. But before I do that, I wanted to do a little recap. So we've been looking, this is our series here, Wisdom, Building Blocks for Life kind of thing. And we are looking at the life of King Solomon, who is the son of King David. King David was the second king of Israel. He was, Solomon was the first, and he, God kind of, you know, got rid of him because he wasn't that great of a king. And then King David comes in, and we see that he makes a lot of messes, but he has a heart for God, and he has humility. And his heart, it says, um, he has a heart after God's own heart. So God honors that, and he loves that. And, and David is actually held up as a model for, of kingship for, for the rest of the kings. And, um, but he does die because he's human, and he, um, God gives him a son to sit on his throne, Solomon. It's his youngest son. And last week, Pastor Brad talked about that. And the point that we were learning through this whole transition of David over to Solomon was that past actions have future consequences, both negative and positive. And we saw actually in this transition time, some of the past actions that David had that were negative, they kind of bubbled up, and you can see this still playing out. Um, some of the past actions that were positive also bubbled out. And so the challenge there was to say, you know, what actions are we doing today that will have future consequences, sometimes more immediate, sometimes long-term. You have to wait a long time until you see it. Um, both negative and positive. Is there something I need to change and not do? Is there something that I can add in that's a positive thing to do? And we see that Solomon is secure on his throne. He has, you know, a season as every king. People are going to challenge him a little bit, be like, okay, are you actually going to be worth following? And God gives him, I think, some wise wisdom to know how to handle his enemies and those who might want to, you know, weasel their way in and manipulate things. And either gets rid of them or takes care of them in one way or another. And he's now securely on his throne. And so that is where we pick up. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the king, the city of David until he had finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. So he had a lot of building projects to do. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built in the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So all this is saying here, um, if you're knowing the history of Israel, there's a word at the very beginning that might want to go ding, ding, ding to your little mind, and that's Egypt. Where did the Israelites just come from? Egypt, that's right. Oh, man, thank goodness, you guys are quiet. The kids are so much easier to talk to. Where does Israelites just came out of? There we go, Egypt, that's right. God had just brought them out of Egypt. So it's a little bit, raises a little bit of concern that Solomon then goes and marries a daughter of Egypt. It is something actually Moses had said, you need to be careful, you don't want to go back there. God says, don't go back there. Um, 
And so it's one of those kind of like, eh, a little questionable, just, just note why would he do that? But it also does show something positive, that Israel is a nation to be contended with. Because Egypt was like a big place. And so if Egypt wanted to have an alliance with Israel now, that's actually also another proof that God indeed had established Israel as a full nation and a pretty big power within the, in, within the area. And then it talks about high places, which are basically just outdoor sacrificial areas. And God had said, it's okay to set a couple of these up until there's a central temple built or a central area built. And, and the hope was, and the idea was, though, that once this central location for worship was built, all these other high places would be knocked down, and that is where you would go to worship God. So again, this is sort of one of those, you know, if you watch a movie and there's like, they call it foreshadowing, it's like the dun-dun-dun thing that happens. Or like the, you know, I remember Simpsons, it's like the dog with the shifty eyes. And it's like, shifty eyes. And you're like, ooh, you know, the dog's going to do something, right? So it's just saying, beware of these things. We see little seeds here, okay right now, but some of these things will actually, if not dealt with, will come back and sort of bite them in the butt. So... That's all that's happening there is high places. They're supposed to worship God on them. Later on, they tend to get used for other things, and that can become a snare. But Solomon does show his love for the Lord, it says, by actually following David's instructions. Because David, before he died, had said, look, here's how I've had the success. Here's what God has done for me. And I challenge you, and I, and I um, what's the word? Basically, I tell you to follow him. I want you to follow him and love him. And he will bless you, and he will do these things for you. And so we see David, uh, Solomon took that to heart. He's like, okay, he heard what his dad had said, and he obeyed that, and that um, showed love for the Lord. And then we're going to skip down to verse 6 here in a minute. The rest of it is just basically says, so all this, he's established, he's got all this power, he's got all this stuff going for him. And uh, he decides to go to Gibeon, which is a town which has sort of the most important a high place for worship. Some people think that that's where the, the tabernacle, which was the tent that the Israelites used to worship at when they were wandering in the desert, um, that's where sort of the tent was sitting, and so it had a lot of spiritual significance. And so he went there to sacrifice, and he sacrificed, um, don't look at your Bibles, guess how much he sacrificed, how many animals? A lot of animals. A thousand! Ah, oh, Rebecca! You gave it away, yeah. <laughs> thousand animals. He sacrificed a thousand animals. Like, that's a lot of animals. So he had this big time of worship before God. And while he's there, as he falls asleep, God meets with him in a dream. And so in your minds, I want you to picture this. Because when I read this, what popped into my mind was, it was actually quite funny. I'd never read it like this before. But like, here's Solomon, this powerful new king. Sure, he's still green. But he's king, and he's used to sitting on a throne and having people come to him with their gifts and asking for advice and asking Solomon, King Solomon, would you help judge between my neighbor and I? We have a disagreement. So, like, the king would judge between things. He would bless people, all this kind of stuff. So he's in this. That is who he is as a king. And here, in this dream, God transports him to the heavenly throne where God, the rightful king, is seated and Solomon has come and brought his gifts and is on his knees before the throne room of God in this vision. And God asks him, he says, ask me for whatever you want. And so now we're going to see what Solomon says. Verse 6, Solomon answered, 
You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Solomon is basically repeating back a covenant that God had made with David. And David, in the last chapter, as I talked about, he told Solomon about this. He said, these are the covenant, the, the promises. And covenants are pretty important, so I want to spend just a minute talking about what it is. Um, I've heard it before described that a covenant's like an agreement or a promise. But I like the way that John Piper, he's a, a pastor down in the States, I like the way he described it. He described a covenant as a job description. And he says, uh, this is a quote from, from him about it. It says, when God makes a covenant, he reveals his own job description and he signs it. In almost every case, he comes to the covenant partner, the person he's making the promise to, and he lays out his job description and says, look, this is how I will work for you with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my strength. If you will love me as I am, if you will cleave to me or cling to me, and keep and trust me to keep my word. So a covenant is a powerful promise from God to work for the good of those who follow him. To give them an amazing future. There's always a promise of some amazing future. The covenant God made with David is actually found in 2 Samuel chapter 17. And I want to just highlight it because I think it's, it's pretty important. It, it's actually coming out of a request. We see David has another sort of moment with God as well as Samuel is having. And David had said he'd been established in all this amazing stuff. And all of a sudden he looks around and he's like, I've got this temple. I've got like abundant food. I've got people to serve me. And God is still being worshipped in a tent and so he goes to the prophet Nathan. He says, I'm, I have this on my heart. I really want to build a temple for God to honor him. And Nathan says, sure, go ahead. It sounds great. But then God talks to Nathan and, and gives him this word. and says, actually, go back and tell, tell David something. So he goes back. And David's just, this is his heart, saying, God, can I build you a house? And God's response is, I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to bless you and your family. I don't need a house. And no, actually, I want you to hold off. I'm going to give you a son. who The son will build that temple for me. And I see your heart, but I don't need that. I want to build you a house. And he says this. The Lord declares to you, David, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, when you die, fancy way of saying you die, I will raise up your offspring or your sons to succeed you, to take over for you, your own flesh and your own blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men and will flog him inflictions by human hands. But I will love him. I will never take away my love for him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you, 
Your house and your kingdom will endure for, before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. This is the covenant that will carry through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. This is the promise, amazing promise that God is giving David. I am actually going to promise you something, an unconditional thing. I will unconditionally love your family line. And out of your family line, I will bring, this is where we have the promise of the Messiah, the promised king who will reign forever, Jesus. This is the seed. This is where God says, I will do this. And nothing will stop it. That's the kind of promises that God makes to us. Unconditional, loving promise for a good future. And then he also says, I will give you a son in the short term now. I will give you a son to build a temple, to do this thing that's on your heart. But I also want to warn you, your sons will, if they choose to not follow me, they will have to leave the throne. And we see that as later kings come up and they aren't following God. He does have, they get removed from power. They get taken over. Yet God's love is not removed from David's family line, and his promise is true, and he does raise up Jesus as the ultimate king. So Solomon is now inheriting this promise, and he's repeating this back to God, saying, God, because of your loving kindness, this covenantal promise of love, because of this, and because my, my father, my dad was so faithful to you, you gave him a son. You gave him me. I know the only reason I am here is because of your faithful love. And then he continues. Let's see what else he asks about God for. Where are we? Ten. Okay. The Lord, oh, nope, sorry. So, mm, seven, thank you. You guys are good, keen eyes. Seven, now the Lord my God you have made your servant king in my place of my father David. But I am only a child and I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God moment. Okay, what do you think of quiz? When you hear, okay, the verse, um, you're not, verse eight, your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. Moses, yeah, goes back even farther than that. Abraham, somebody's whispering quietly, Abraham, oh my goodness, you guys could learn something from the kids. Come on, shout it out. You got a lot of wisdom in there to share. So Abraham, God had made another covenant with Abraham, and that's where it's one of those ding, 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 oh my goodness, God is faithful. It has happened. He promised Abraham a son who would eventually have a multitude. He said, your descendants, your family is going to be too numerous to count. And I'm going to give them this land that right now you, you don't own. I'm going to give you them this land to own. And so that's, it's totally happened. We saw it totally happen. God, he did it. And now Solomon actually has a new challenge. He's like, okay, now we're in this land. You've given it to us. And we have these people. And oh my goodness, God, they're too numerous to count. And now I am supposed to govern them. And I have no idea how to do it. 
lost my notes. That's okay. So one of the things that I appreciate... No. No. Ah, there we go. Found him. Okay. One of the things I always appreciate about the Bible is... It's so down to earth. Have you ever felt like you were in a position or given responsibilities that you could not handle? Or that you were totally incapable of, or God is asking you to do something that you were like, God, I just, I can't do this. And it's stories like this one and with Moses, and basically the people, when they, that God tells them to do something, they kind of have a freak out moment. Say, I can't do this. I'm not the person. And it always encourages me because I have those moments a lot of times in my life where I'm like, God, what are you asking me to do? I'm in, like, panic. I can't do this. Like, speaking today, I mean, I, I'm, you know, don't really have, like, tons of wisdom. Am I supposed to talk on wisdom? Okay. But one of the love, things that I love about it is when they basically freak out and say that, the response of God is always, but I can. And here's my promise to you. And here's my provision. And here's how I will do it through you. Because I see, we see through scripture again and again, and I've seen in my life, God will ask you to do things that you are incapable of. But he will always, he, he never asks you of something that he's not capable of doing through you. So he will ask you to do something that you are not capable of, but he will ask you to do something that he is capable of doing through you, and isn't that the point? So that he gets all praise and glory so that the world would look on and say, this is nothing of them. This has to be God's power through them, his faithfulness, his promise, the supernatural power he has given them, the wisdom he has given them, his power to transform them. That is the point. And all that God asks, is that we trust him to follow him in doing whatever it is that he's asked us because he will not leave us and he will do it through us. I get all excited and then I lose my place. Right, there I am. So let's see how so Solomon gets this. He comes, I don't know what I'm doing, God. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. I need to govern this people. I've seen that this is what you've placed me to do. Help me. And so God responds, verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment to administer justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and my commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. And he returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and he sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and he gave a feast for his courts. 
one of the reasons I think that God was so pleased with Solomon is that Solomon is demonstrating that he understands his role to be a servant of God for the good of the people. That as role of king, it wasn't for his own glory, his own honor, and to make himself big, but it was to make God, glorify God, and to serve the people. And he has the humility to admit, I don't have the wisdom to do this well. One of the things that Moses and Samuel had actually warned about, they said, you know, when you go into the land, Israel, of taking you out of Egypt, when you get there, you're probably going to ask for a king. And a king should do these things. It should govern the people well. They should be a servant. They shouldn't have a whole bunch of wealth to make them think, oh, I'm better. I'm the king. No, you're just one of the Israelites who God has placed there to govern and to, to serve. But the kings will have a temptation to seek their own glory. And I think that's one of the things God might be kind of trying to test out in Solomon. Are you going to be the kind of king that is seeking his own? You're going to ask me for this stuff for yourself? Or are you going to be the kind of king who acknowledges is that I put you there and that your role that I want you to have is to seek me and to administer my justice to the people? And Solomon, he, he chose wisely. He said that's what he understood his role to be. And God was so generous. Again, just like David coming before us saying, hey, can I build your house? And then God's like, whoa, guess what I'm going to do for you? Solomon's coming and he's saying, God, can I have some wisdom? And God's like, whoa, guess what I'm going to do for you? So the image that I want to leave with you today is that Solomon asked for this little bit of cup of water of wisdom. He said, I don't have much. Can you please... Give me wisdom. And God said, I'm going to, oops, whoa, I'm going to make a mess. I'm going to give you so much wisdom. I should have thought that through and brought a table. Note to self, children's ministry moments. Okay, I'm going to give you so much wisdom. <laughs> laugh it out, laugh it out. <laughs> that is overflowing. And actually, like, this picture is finite, and God is actually like, can you imagine I, I couldn't do this, but I wanted to like bring in from the fire department a big hose and bring it in and be like, you know, like that's the amount of wisdom. There's so much force behind it. It would probably shatter the cup and it would wreck everything on stage. That's why I didn't do it. But I still wreck things on the stage. But that's okay. God's wisdom, it never ends. It's a never flowing and his blessings. He's like, I want to give you all this, but I will give it to you an amount that's not going to break you. It will overflow. It'll still be abundant. And yet even that abundance that he's willing to give you is a minuscule amount of the power and the wealth of the wisdom and the riches that he has for you. And Solomon experiences this because he goes to the one who is the author of wisdom and he receives not just for himself wisdom, but all the extra blessings After he wakes up and realizes it's a dream, his response is just to worship. He is in awe, and he goes back, and he sacrifices and has this incredible feast. We're not going to go through the rest of the story right now. I encourage you to read through it. But basically, the rest of that chapter is showing that God does exactly what he promises. You see this incredible story of two women who don't have husbands. They've actually been prostitutes. Probably who knows why. Maybe they were sold into it. Maybe who knows what. 
And, and Solomon is able to distinguish between them. They both have a baby at around the same time, and one dies and one lives, and they're fighting over whose is the living baby. He said, he said, she said, that's the whole, nobody else saw. One says, you swapped them in the middle of the night and gave me the dead baby, and now the living, you know. And how in the world are you going to discern between that? And Solomon handles that so wisely. And at the end of it, it says that all the nation of Israel, all they can do is but recognize this is not wisdom from him. This is wisdom from God, that God has endowed him with wisdom. And it gives the whole nation courage to follow Solomon. And Solomon goes on to have incredible um, amounts of wisdom in discerning justice and, and being just and fair to the nation. So we started this um, message with the reading from Job, Where Can Wisdom Be Found? And my challenge was that you pray and ask God to hear from God and pursue God to find wisdom in the process. Like, ask the Holy Spirit to be aware, and I hope that's been happening. I, I trust that the, the Holy Spirit has been doing that. He's been teacher here this morning. See, Solomon gains wisdom because he goes to the source. He has humility to ask for it and to seek it. And it's found in God, and it's acted out by fearing God, recognizing the power that he has, the authority, believing him, obeying him, trusting him. And all that we've seen from God, all of his covenants, his mighty acts to save, his heart, it's clearly for the good of his children. And so I hope that you have seen this awesome God and that he's affirmed to you that he is trustworthy and he is good. To find wisdom is to find God's voice and way and to follow it. He is generous to give more than we could ask or imagine, spills out. But he gives it to those who are willing to seek him and to follow him. The NIV application commentary, one that I read as I was preparing, it says this about wisdom. Wisdom is not simply ability to make right decisions or intelligence to know what the right way or right thing to do is. Now, wisdom begins with the choice of learning to trust God. God, in turn, makes provisions for peace and prosperity. See, I think God's invitation to us is to find him. And I would be amiss, and it would almost be impossible to end this sermon without acknowledging the covenant that God has made and offers to every human today, the covenant that is alive it's the covenant that he wrote with his blood. It's the covenant that Jesus gave us with his life. It's a covenant promise. Is the job description that he says, if you will trust my son, I will take your sin, your pain, your fear, your anxiety, your guilt, and your shame. I will take that on myself. I will pay the price for you so that you can have a relationship with me. I will call you like I called the children of Israel out of Egypt. I will call you out of that land of darkness, out of guilt, out of shame where you are enslaved. And I will bring you into my kingdom where I am king. I will give you a new life, a new hope, a new name, land of your own that you can dwell in securely. I will even give you my very spirit. 
to breathe life into you so that you can follow me all the days of your life. I will give you my wisdom and all the riches that I have and hold are yours. I promise that with my unfailing love. It will never end. Will you trust me? How are we going to respond to that covenantal love, that God of wisdom who has this wealth, offering it, promising it, not contingent on anything we do beyond acknowledging our need for him and submitting our life to Jesus? There are a couple Responses in me that, that um, came up, one was just a, a affirmation of the Lord's confidence. I'm going on maternity leave, as you moms know, it's always challenging. What's the new season going to look like? And I know some of you have those kinds of seasons. You're maybe at a transition point. You don't know what the season's going to look like. To me, the response is one of, of gratitude and trust, of worship and a thank you. Thank you, God, for reminding me of this. And I do accept this, and I trust you, even though I cannot see the next steps. You know the next steps, and I trust you. For some of you, this, this, this desire to have um, seek wisdom starts with a desire to seek and know God. And you may suddenly realize, I have never committed my life to the God of all wisdom, to Jesus. I've never heard that covenantal love. It's never been described to me. I didn't realize that it was so unconditional and so rich. And God's invitation to you is to come and, and to say, I confess my sin. I need you. I need this new life. I don't want to live in this slavery that I have been kept in. I want to find that life. And he will graciously pour out on you his life and his peace and his blessing. For some, one last suggestion, and again, please be asking the Spirit for yourself. It might be that of confession. Very biblical, David messed up. He messed up royally with Bathsheba. And the wise thing he did was to confess and find forgiveness. If you find that yourself in that moment where you're going, Lord, you gave me the wisdom. I knew the right thing to do, and I didn't do it. Take courage and have humility and confess. And you will find blessing in return. You will find forgiveness. You will find new life that can, will not have to define you. God can take that. So I'm going to invite the band up. And as they play, I ask that you just spend some time. As we do it at Kids at the Ridge, I say, I talk a lot. And I need to just be quiet. And this is your time to talk with God directly. There are prayer um, we always have a prayer response. A couple people, if you want to pray with, it can be extremely helpful to play, pray with somebody. Or if you don't have the word, say, I want to pray about this, but I'm just not sure I can know how to say it. Um, and if that's the case, pray with somebody right next to you, for goodness sake. It could be anybody. But we also have um, our prayer team, which is Mike and Deb and Wally. Um, and they're willing to pray with you about anything. And I invite you over the next couple of songs, just sit with God and respond to him. What was it in this that stirred your heart where the spirit was speaking to you? And think about that and respond to God in some way.